Hi everyone, you're listening to the December 2023 edition of Aeon's Retirement Market Update podcast. I'm your host, Ricky Marsh, and if you listened to last month's episode, you'll know I promised you a big announcement. I could make you wait even longer, but let's just get this one out of the way now. After just over four years, I'm finally hanging up my headphones, and today will be my final episode as host. Don't worry, the podcast will continue, and you can hear more about what's coming next at the end of the episode. In the meantime, I still have some hosting to do, so I guess I'd better get on with it. Steve Lee and Rupert Kotowski will be here later for a joint update from the worlds of DC and DB investment, but now it's time to wheel out that bell for one last round of pensions news. First up, we've completed yet another revolution on the political merry-go-round. Beyond some of the more eye-catching movements at cabinet level, Rishi Sunak's latest reshuffle also brought us another change in pensions minister. After just over a year in the role, Laura Trott's been promoted to Chief Secretary to the Treasury. This is the second most senior role at the Treasury behind the Chancellor, and while the holder of this role isn't a cabinet minister, they do get to attend cabinet meetings. Shortly after this, the new pensions minister was confirmed to be Paul Maynard. Unlike Ms Trott, Mr Maynard is older than me, so it's nice to be able to say that order has finally been restored to the pensions universe in time for my last episode. Sticking with politics for a moment, the Chancellor delivered his autumn statement on the 22nd of November. The main pensions proposals came under three different headings. The first heading is providing better outcomes for savers. This includes confirmation of the multiple default consolidator approach for dealing with small DC pots. There's also a proposal to force DC scheme trustees to offer appropriate decumulation services when savers access their pension assets and the pensions regulator have said they'll be releasing some interim guidance on decumulation next year. The other key point here was a call for evidence on a pot-for-life model. This would allow people who change employer to continue having contributions paid into their existing pension scheme. This one's open for comments until the 24th of January. The second heading is driving a more consolidated market. The key announcement here is on a potential new role for the Pension Protection Fund as a default consolidator for DB schemes. Not much detail on this one at the moment, but apparently there is a consultation coming in the winter. The final heading is enabling pension funds to invest in a diverse portfolio. To increase opportunities for investment in productive finance, the government will be consulting this winter on whether to change the rules around when DB scheme surpluses can be repaid and potentially allowing full PPF coverage for schemes that opt to pay a higher levy. The government's also announced a reduction in the tax charge that's payable when DB scheme surpluses are repaid to employers. This will be coming down from 35% to 25% from the 6th of April 2024. Now that was a very quick run through, but if you want a more comprehensive look at the autumn statement, I can thoroughly recommend watching a replay of our recent webinar. You can find a link to this in the show notes. Clara Pensions has completed the UK's first Superfund transaction. This deal sees the benefits of all 9,600 members of the Sears Retail Pension Scheme being transferred to Clara. As part of this arrangement, scheme members will benefit from an additional £30 million of ring-fenced funding to support the scheme. This is expected to demonstrably improve member security and provide increased certainty on their journey to an insured buyout in the next 5-10 to years. This deal was cleared by TPR and it was welcomed by TPR, the DWP and the Treasury. Now we can't end the year without an update on the long-running saga of the new DB funding code. 
Norsica Delfast from TPR has confirmed to the Work and Pensions Committee that the new DB funding regulations will be introduced in the new year. As things stand, TPR anticipates that the regulations will be enforced by April with the code of practice to follow and that both will be effective for schemes that have valuations from autumn 2024. Ms Delfast also confirmed that TPR's revised the code of practice since the most recent consultation and believes it's entirely consistent with the government's mansion house reforms as it allows for schemes to invest in diverse assets. Stay tuned for more developments on this next year. And finally, some dates for your 2024 diary. Yes, conference season is almost upon us and Aeon's pension conference will be touring the country again in February and March. We'll be kicking things off in Leeds on the 20th of February and then heading to Bristol, Edinburgh, Manchester and London before finishing up in Birmingham on the 26th of March. I won't read out a full list of dates but there's basically one each week and they're all on Tuesdays. These conferences are free to attend and I'll include links to a registration form and agenda in the show notes. This year's theme is a time of transformation and I just want to put this out there now in case the conference team are listening. If Optimus Prime doesn't make an appearance I'll be very disappointed. And if you'd like more information on this or any of this month's other news stories I'll include contact details at the end. Okay, so everybody knows that there's nothing that says Christmas more than a bit of data and analytics. So we thought this would be a perfect time to take a closer look at a couple of recent Aon surveys. Firstly, we've got our Global Pension Risk Survey of UK DB schemes. So this is carried out every two years and we've got over 200 respondents and more than 10 years of data for that one. We've also got our DC Today survey, which we talked about back in February when it was first launched. So this one's a regular pulse survey that we've used to monitor changes in DC member behaviour over the course of the year and how schemes are responding to those changes. Today we're focusing on the investment related topics from those surveys and I'm joined by Steve Lee, who will mainly be looking at DC schemes and Rupert Kotowski from the DB side. Now, I guess we have to start with the biggest change over the last 18 months, which is market conditions. We've seen the yield on 20-year gilts increase from 0.5% to 5%. How's that impacted pension schemes and what are they doing in response? Good question, Ricky. So I'll start with DC schemes, if I may. So in terms of gilts, it's most commonly for DC schemes to invest in gilts as members get closer to retirement. Uh, with the idea of reducing volatility by moving away from sort of more growth-based assets. But the, the huge increase in yields that we've seen actually means a fall in the, in the value of gilts held by members. So there's been a, a fall in the fund values, particularly for members closer to retirement. Now, that's not necessarily as bad as it sounds. It's not an issue if the member is buying an annuity with their DC fund, because annuity prices have tended to move in line with, with gilt prices. Uh, so the, the actual value of the, the annuity income they'd receive would be roughly the same. But for those taking a cash lump sum and taking their DC funds out in one go, they could have seen a significant fall in the amount of their savings. And it's backed up really by our, our DC Today research, which shows that increasing numbers of, of schemes are reporting more members raising concerns about investment performance. So uh, I think in our last survey, 38% of schemes said they'd, they'd seen an increase in members raising questions or concerns about what was happening with their investments. And I think that means it's really important that schemes communicate with members just to try and help them understand and avoid taking bad decisions. 
uh, particularly when they're close to retirement as well with, with what we've seen in recent times. And we are seeing quite a lot of schemes put in more support and extra support for, for members as they approach retirement in the DC space. Yeah, and and in the DV world, it's uh, significantly reduced the value we place on um, liabilities. And any assets you invest in to try and mimic those liabilities have fallen significantly in value as well. But what it has led to overall is improved funding levels and, and significantly lower deficits. So and what we've seen from our survey is that more schemes than ever before are now targeting buyout, and it's risen to 55% of respondents. But regardless of whether uh, schemes are targeting run-on or buyout, deficits on long-term basis are now much, much lower than they, than they have been for a very long time, and tr therefore trustees are looking to de-risk. So over the next two years, 39% of respondents from our surveys are actually expecting to switch investments out of equities and other growth assets into things like annuities, LDI and credit, with the most popular destination being credit. Around about 30% of respondents are looking to allocate uh, assets there. Okay, so we talked about the guilt crisis quite a lot on the podcast in late 2022, but we're, we're now a year on from that. So how did respondents think they'd been affected? Well, on the DB side, uh, it was pleasing to see that the significant majority, 84%, thought that they were either better off or the same from a funding level perspective as a result of what happened in the guilt crisis. But having gone through that experience, just over a quarter of the respondents looked at delegation more favorably now, which is, in effect, a way of uh, reducing operational risk by, by out outsourcing it. And, of course, we now offer clients a spectrum of delegation uh, uh, options, which range from the sort of traditional fiduciary manager to OCIO to cash flow management. But in terms of portfolios, trustees now have to hold more assets to back their hedging programs. So that's led to them having to make important decisions and trade-offs around risk and return going forwards. And Steve, are there any lessons coming out of the guilt crisis for DC schemes? Well, yeah, I think there are, Ricky. So what we've seen generally is that the greater diversification is key and has been recognised more by, by DC schemes around their fixed income allocation. So that's both in terms of the duration of, of gilt holdings. Uh, so longer dated uh, holdings were worse impacted um, and from a negative performance perspective um, during 2022 and early 2023. Uh, and also in terms of geography. So looking outside of just UK fixed income uh, to avoid that risk that you might have with concentration from political events such as the, the Liz Trust budget uh, at the back end of 2022. So we've seen schemes that we work with look to move more into global corporate bonds or, or multi-asset credit funds, either instead of or in addition to their sort of current holdings. However, what's quite interesting is that in our DC Today survey, despite all this turmoil in gilt markets, ESG investment has a greater focus from schemes, with more than a third noting that they're increasing or considering increasing their allocation to ESG funds. So, you know, I think this is a positive step as well as from a, an investment, long-term investment perspective. In the DC world, we think that it can also help raise engagement with members. So if they see their pension scheme is investing their savings to make a positive difference in the world, we think we, members are more likely to engage and, and take notice of what's happening with their pension savings. Yeah, and I, I think it's worth talking about ESG a bit more because we've seen that leap right up corporate agendas over the last few years and we've seen increased regulations in the area as well. Uh, Rupert, how are DB schemes responding to this? Quite significantly, and primarily in two ways. So first, in terms of their climate ambition, and secondly, in terms of their portfolios that they're actually investing in. Uh, 
51% of respondents thought that the scheme was now aligned with the ESG or net zero goals of their sponsor. So that's an important step to take to minimize reputational risk for the sponsor. But then if we look under the bonnet of what schemes are actually investing in, 41% of respondents had already implemented ESG tilts in their equity portfolio, with a further 28% looking to. And in terms of credit portfolios, 41% of respondents were looking to apply an ESG tilt uh, in that type of uh, portfolio as well. So lots of things happening, and it's a fast-changing area in terms of best practice, but also we're seeing new products coming onto market all the time. And Steve, are you seeing that same kind of evolution in the DC world? Absolutely, Ricky, yes. So similar to DB, the, the regulations require DC schemes to publicly state their position on ESG matters in their statement of investment principles, and also to report on how this position has been met each year in their implementation statement. So there's a lot more attention on the ESG approach being taken by schemes and trustees and whether that aligns with the, the views of the sponsor. We're also seeing fund managers launching new ESG badged funds in both the passive and active space as well as sometimes making changes to existing funds to draw out ESG credentials or adding ESG filters. Um, interestingly, that's not always met with a, a unilaterally positive response by the sponsor and employer as well, particularly if they're being filtered out of a particular fund the pension scheme's investing in. Um, another area which I think it's worth flagging that we're seeing a huge amount of development in is around illiquid investments. So our DC Today survey showed that less than 10% of schemes are actually considering allocating more money to liquids before we saw the Chancellor's Mansion House speech, which really made the case for the potential benefits for this type of investment. Um, but it's important to note, I think, when we talk about illiquids, that we're not talking about a homogenous group of investments. There can be a big range of private equity, infrastructure, and private debt opportunities. And I personally feel there's there's quite a lot of work that we need to do in this area to help decision makers better understand the options uh, and really understand the potential upsides and downsides of this type of investment over the next few years. Yeah, and that's uh, an interesting point on illiquids. I guess, Rupert, what are you seeing on that on the DB side? Well, for the 30% of respondents who have identified that their scheme's ambition is to run on, there is still an appetite for illiquids. But for schemes that are close to buyout, we've seen uh, trustees looking to divest. And currently, there are some good deals to be had out there. Nice. And um, just to just to wrap things up, uh, do you both have any final thoughts just to leave our listeners with? Well, on, on my side, in the DB world, there are so many significant work streams going on at the moment. And it's all about trustees having to prioritize their time and budgets to ensure that the most important elements uh, for them are addressed first. And I'd say for, for those running DC schemes, there are a lot of different investment opportunities out there with the real potential to improve member outcomes. But it's worth considering how best to access these types of opportunities and whether to outsource through a master trust or a delegated investment approach or whether to embrace the changes and, and deliver through your own current investment design. Great. Well, thanks very much to both of you for joining us today. I will make sure I include some links to the output from both of those surveys in the show notes, just in case anyone wants to explore further. Great. Thanks, Ricky. Thank you. So that's almost everything for today, but we do still have one important bit of business to deal with. 
When I decided it was time to hand over the podcast hosting duties, I was also tasked with finding my own replacement. So over the last few months, I've been channeling my inner Simon Cowell and running a gruelling selection process. They've survived boot camp, made it unscathed through judges' houses and triumphed in the public vote. So now I'm delighted to introduce your new hosts, John Harney and Jennifer Michelle. Um, Jennifer, John, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. I'm really looking forward to to seeing what you both come up with next year. Thank you very much, Ricky. Jennifer, I don't know about you. It didn't feel like the X Factor. No, definitely not. <laughs> yeah, I, I may have exaggerated slightly there. It, it wasn't as bad as I made it sound. Um, I, yeah, so I guess it's probably worth you both just doing a quick intro so our listeners know what to to expect from you next year. So I'm Jennifer, I'm an associate consultant within the Responsible Investment team and I joined Aon in 2021 and I also work across um, some clients within general investment as well. Yeah, really excited to be a part of the podcast um, presenting is something that I really love to do so can't wait for this new adventure. Yeah, and I'm really excited to be co-hosting with Jennifer. So my name is John and I'm a senior consultant in Aon's corporate pensions consulting team, working with scheme sponsors to think through all aspects of pension strategy. And yeah, I'm looking forward to having loads of insightful conversations in 2024. But Ricky, big shoes to fill, big shoes. Uh, thanks, John. Very, very nice of you to say. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure everyone else would necessarily agree. Um, right. So I think that was probably all we needed to do today. Just wanted to ease you both in gently, get you used to, uh, used to the, the microphones. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty much everything we need to do today. So really looking forward to hearing what you both come up with from February next year, the first episode. Thank you. Well, I guess that's me then. Um, uh, while this is my last episode as host, I should stress that I'll still be here at Aon doing my actual job, so there's no need for any of my clients to panic, and I just might pop up on the podcast in the future if I have something worth talking about. Before I go, I should just say a few thank yous. So thanks to Stuart Hall and the rest of the team at Aviso Media for making my ramblings sound vaguely presentable, and to Victoria Panormo for getting the podcast off to a great start in its first year. Thanks to the content team, who always come up with plenty of ideas, even in the slow news months, and to all the guests, far too many to name here, who have actually made this podcast worth listening to. Lastly, a huge thanks to you for listening. I know the podcast's in very safe hands with Jennifer and John. I'll definitely be tuning in in 2024, and I hope you will too. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget you can subscribe to the series through all the usual places, including the Apple Podcasts app and Spotify. If you'd like more information on Aeon's Wealth Solutions, or you want to feature in a future podcast, you can contact John on john.harney at aon.com or Jennifer on jennifer.michelle at aon.com. Otherwise, please visit our website or email talktous at aon.com. <laughs>